0: The Imposter Club is brought to you by Talented People, the specialist executive search and TV production staffing company, run by content makers for content makers. Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode of The Imposter Club. I'm Kimberly Godbolt, creator and host of this straight talking podcast, and I have loved every minute bringing you this first series. I'm taking a little break before series two. So I thought this was the perfect opportunity to reflect on what we've taken away from these first eight surprising and overwhelmingly honest conversations. So here is a fun and relaxed episode where you get to sneak behind the mic with us. Us being me and my partner at Talented People, Rosie Turner, who is also exec producer of this podcast. We're talking about why we made it, what it almost was before the imposter club and some of the moments that really hit home during my chats. Enjoy a slightly different episode. Rosie, hello. You are so thrilled to be behind the microphone, aren't you? So thrilled. Hi. (laughs) It's always (laughs) where I want to be. I've not been wheeled out, screaming, kicking. I just thought it'd be nice for us to have a little chat I'll just sneakily put the record button on. As you may gather... It's me that tends to be the talker on cameras and behind microphones. And Rosie does all of the important stuff behind the scenes with absolutely no jazz hands or ego. So, um, yes, I forced her out. How are you feeling on a scale of one to complete imposter?
1: Probably eight. If ten is full imposter, but then I always sort of hover around seven and eight. (laughs) Imposter syndrome is very me in a way that I always say to you that I don't think it's you even though you may have had imposter moments along the way I'm a full fledged imposter syndrome sufferer which is why I'm behind the scenes and <laughs> not appearing on camera or really on panels or anything like that because I just the imposter and me would be screaming to get off the stage, get off the camera at all times.
0: So this is very relevant, isn't it? Maybe this is all fed into how we came up with the imposter club hook.
1: Possibly. Possibly, yeah. yes. I mean we we talked about many different things before we got to this, didn't we? Whilst swamped with our day job of actually staffing the millions of productions, we were always sort of like chatting in the background about what else? How
0: else could we help the industry? like, just do a bit more than just the staffing. I think that's always been in us somewhere. Do you remember when COVID hit and I was convinced that, well, we we were both panicking, obviously the whole world was panicking, but I was convinced we had to do something on Facebook Live, on social media, just something for all these people sitting around. And actually, I think that is like the only time we've ever been really at odds about what we're doing. Do you remember that? I remember yeah, being I quite emotional because we were all like heightened emotion based on what does this mean for the business? What does, it mean, does this mean for our families? But then I was like, we have to get on this, this platform and talk about something. And because you, you are more of a perfectionist, I think, than me, I know you were like, but what is it? What is it? Yes.
1: I worry in a way that you are very happy to be just you in the moment and live and whatever happens, happens. But I am a perfectionist. My first thing to think was, that could be a bad idea for us. What if we say the wrong thing or we Mm. do the wrong thing?
0: We are good at challenging each other actually like that, aren't we? And I remember in that particular situation, I think I was just quite, I was so passionate about it. I was like, it will be fine. I'm just going to do it. And then we can pull it if it's awful or if it's wrong. And then you were on board and then you were like championing it more than anyone. But that made me wonder then, how you felt when the podcast started gathering momentum. How did you feel then about getting it perfect or getting it right at that point? So I think,
1: I don't know about you, I didn't feel ready until we got to the point where it was like, it's the imposter club. because It's just that hook that allows you to delve deep into somebody's life and all the things along the way, all the standout moments along the way that have made them who they are. Yeah and their secret fears. It's just that it's the story finding. So when we found
0: that actual hook, I felt much more comfortable, ready to go. Because actually I've just remembered there were two iterations of this before we landed on the imposter club. One, and we're talking like a year plus ago that we wanted to do this. One was, I wanted to call it um, me and TV or TV and me. Yes, I didn't like that one so much. No, you weren't a fan. I was going to chart people's careers and opinions on stuff through what they liked watching on TV over their their life. So as a kid... How, you know, where was the TV in their house? I'm just chucking out other people podcast ideas now. Uh, where was the TV in their house? How mm-hmm. was it a ritual every Sunday night? Like I remember it being Lovejoy on a Sunday night while we were eating dinner on our kitchen telly. Things mm-hmm. that kind of felt nostalgic through to what they watch now or what they make now. You weren't a big fan of that. We got really busy, didn't happen. It was also quite, maybe quite niche, quite quite labor heavy, probably with the research. Yeah, And then- making it so making it i mean i still still give ourselves credit for an awesome title because it was making it as in your career but also a production yes that was where we were going to just take us one specific program short film documentary entertainment show and speak to the makers about how they actually made that one thing and i think we were quite sold on that for a while we got quite excited yeah because that also goes back
1: to one of the tp lives that we did about the making of hospital yes so we'd
0: sort of done a mini version of it and it was really really good and really interesting definitely we just felt all of a sudden that perhaps it was too small a theme and perhaps you wouldn't come and listen yeah. to that that episode that was about a, a show that you didn't care about or you didn't rate or you didn't like and we want we wanted to build something that had universal themes and that people would come to whether or not they knew the guest or the production or whatever it was we were talking about, because it was a kind of a it was our unique perspective and a, a big life subject like imposter syndrome, like challenges and failure, but in the world of TV and and creative industries. But I have to give a shout out here to the very awesome James Bishop of One Fine Play, and Matt Cheney, who were our consultants on the podcast in the early days who were holding me back like I had I had Rosie also going not yet it's not quite there James and Matt going what exactly is it who is your audience how are you going to market this and I'm there chomping at the bit going but I just want to start it and they were absolutely amazing at helping me to shape it and to really hone what exactly it is. And of course, it's still a work in progress. Oh my goodness, it's such a massive learning curve. And there's so much we could do with it. And that's why it's really exciting to be able to talk so freely to you like this. You did go on a proper podcast boot camp, didn't you? Like it was full on. I'm not sure you even realised what you're getting yourself into. I did not. I definitely questioned it the sort of the day before it was supposed to start and went, Oh, so it's three sessions a week plus homework. Ah around my day job and the juggle of family life. I genuinely remember yes, yes. the Monday night session. I was always cooking fajitas at the same time. So it was it's my day where I'm on pickup and I have to sort of fudge the 3.30 to 5.36-ish bit with various activities going on or like a bit of telly and a bit of homework while I'm on calls. And it always turned out to be fajita night because it's just quick and easy. And I was on calls with James and Matt and the cohort going on about, you know, what is our unique lens? You know, why why are we qualified as a host to do this? And I'd be piping up, unmuting myself whilst like stirring the onions and peppers in the pan and Max and Poppy in the background going, Mummy, is it ready yet? <laughs> and I'm trying to think. Oh, that just geez.
1: To me, that's just hell for me. <laughs> my brain does not
0: work like that. I cannot do multiple things at once like that. There's a lot of gymnastics <laughs> that was going on in my head at that point. I went through that creative cycle. I can't remember it. Somebody shared the meme of it um, in a group recently. And it was something like, number one, I'm quite good at this. Number two, oh, this is quite hard. Number three, this is impossible. I am awful and terrible at all of this. Number four, it's never going to work ever again. Number five, I think I'm getting the hang of it. Number six, I'm awesome again. (laughs) And I was somewhere between like three and four at all times for those five weeks. (laughs) So when it went from making it to... Stay in your niche, but make the themes universal. And I suddenly had the, oh my God, everyone's talking about imposter syndrome, maybe that's it moment. I remember like nervously pitching it, firstly to the podcast boot camp, actually, and everyone went quiet and the fajitas must have stopped sizzling at that point. And I remember James, who can be pretty direct, going, That's fucking awesome. That's it. You've got it. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Oh, it's so much relief. <laughs> But then I remember I hadn't spoken to you about it yet. And I thought, what if Rosie hates it? Oh, And because we'd gone through so many different iterations of it, I thought, I will be so upset if you don't like it. Because it's a bit of a risk as well. We're talking about approaching people yeah. saying, hi, a really successful person who runs a company or a streamer or a channel or, a, you know, directs important programs. You must have felt like an imposter at some point. I mean, probably quite easy to offend some people by saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Especially some of the egos that exist in the TV world, I'd say. Do you remember what you said when I pitched it to you or what your kind of reaction was? I think I was just like, yes, that's it. That's it. I remember you saying, I love it. (laughs) I thought, that's it. My work is done. I haven't recorded an episode, but I'm done. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to get a bit geeky for a minute because I want to tell you about a company we've partnered with that I wish had been around when I was directing. Conote Pocketbook was created by documentary producer Eleanor Casely when she found getting paper consent forms signed by contributors or cast on location was A, fiddly, B, difficult for the edit, and C, a complete time waster. Not to mention so easy to lose when you think about GDPR. With Conote, you can just log in on your phone, tablet, or desktop to collect, store, and track contributor information on your shoot, which is then instantly accessible in one safe place for anyone on the team that needs it and you can even use the app offline when you haven't got any signal. I got embarrassingly excited you could say when I had the demo it's so cool and easy to use you take contributor photos write notes about what's sensitive and keep the whole team in the loop and I can see why people rave about how much time it saves in the edit and the obvious cost saving that that brings. So no more illegible coffee stained note saying blur the brunette woman with short hair in coffee shop. And as a bonus, it's recommended by Albert as a sustainable solution that protects the planet whilst eliminating the faff. Prices start at just £95 a month and with Eleanor and the team offering Imposter Club listeners a 20% discount if you mention this podcast. So, get in touch via the website. It's www.conotes.tv, C O N O T tv or say hi to Eleanor directly, Eleanor at conote.tv. So, I want to talk about how Ollie Lambert, our guest in the first episode, was really integral to the format and the, the, the subject matter um, of the Imposter Club, because I genuinely think without his buy in, this may have been a very different series. So when I approached Ollie, the podcast was still making it because I really wanted to talk to him about his Ukraine doc, this really amazing film that he shot on the front line in Ukraine. And so I'd kind of pre-booked him, kind of penciled him as a guest for making it, you know, two weeks down the line whilst everyone was trying to rein me back in from starting too soon. And then when we had the idea for the imposter club, I had to ring him up and go, Ollie, how would you feel if this was the overarching theme? Thinking, this is a terrible idea now because he's won Emmys, BAFTAs, RTS awards, all sorts. He's got like three pages of awards on his website. And he said, that is such a good idea because I am racked with imposter syndrome. And honestly, he could have floored me. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, I mean, I know he's one of your favourite eps, isn't he, Rosie? Oh, he is. But as you're saying there, I'm just thinking, I mean, it was so
1: unlikely that that's how he was going to respond. I mean, when did I find talent? Probably actually now it's going out to like 18, 19 years ago. I've known Holly's name all of those years. So he's someone that, to me, he's kind of always been in a bit of a pedestal in my head, like one of the absolute directors that you can just never going to book. You're never going to work on anything that's going to be enough for Ollie. Like that's absolute nonsense. After speaking to him, we know that a bit more now, but he is just, his work is brilliant. The docs that he's worked on are absolutely brilliant. So for him to then say, actually, this is me. I have imposter syndrome. The things that he was saying to you as well about the kind of projects that he actually picks, he like pushes himself to find the absolute limits. Of a subject matter, and he goes and dives into it, and then he pushes himself to breaking point on each project. And you know, he told us all of the emotion that he feels, and he, you know, cries in the morning mm. before he goes and shoots things. And he's totally racked with self doubt all the time. And yet, he's a, won all of these awards. He's a brilliant, brilliant director. Everyone knows it. So it's just—it's a really—it's a—it's a brilliant opener for the series for me. I loved him.
0: Yeah, I I was so privileged for him to talk so candidly like that. I mean, as with all of our guests, to be honest, but you're right. It was actually pretty fluky that the person, the one person I had sort of pencil booked for this slightly different other format was so up for talking about how he handles his own stresses and standards and pressures emotionally on the podcast that it's what made us go. This is it for sure. Like, let's let's go for it.
1: There's a thing that I was wondering about, though. He admitted, you know, that he'd gone to a sort of really dark place at one point in his career, considered leading the industry. Did you feel then, oh, God, what am I doing here? I'm getting more out of these people than I
0: ever expected. Did you feel a bit nervous? I did feel the pressure of it. I thought, OK, yes, this is going to places that I didn't realise you're right. Um, it made me think harder actually about our show notes and actually we should be putting resources for people who identify Mm -hmm. with the themes in our show notes and talking where relevant about where people can seek help because yeah I didn't I hadn't really envisaged this being a podcast about mental health so much that maybe that sounds weird now that you've listened to you know eight episodes of a series where people are talking about their well-being and their feelings but it never really set out as that to be honest because there was always going to be light and shade that's really important in any content Mm. making isn't it you know and Stu Richard's episode is a great example of of light but actually I didn't feel nervous about it I felt strangely comfortable in that situation because the old director in me has come out through this series and I get so immersed in that person's story that nothing else matters. Actually the kids could come home from school and start hammering on the door and I probably wouldn't notice because I'm so sucked into the story at that point point. and also doing right by them though. And actually I do feel a, a real duty of care now around the people that we've had on who've talked very emotionally about the difficult moments in their career and checking in on them you know this is it's a bit like making a documentary and, and sticking it out there for people to watch you wouldn't i as a program maker would never then just abandon those contributors so it's really important that i'm keeping up with them and i message them frequently yeah episode two then fatima yes fatima's episode was very different in a way but equally as open wasn't it it really was uh, for me the big difference that stood out to
1: me straight away where Ollie, I think, has full-blown imposter syndrome. I didn't feel that from Fatima. I felt that Fatima had felt like an actual imposter all the way through from being in school to starting her career in TV. She didn't feel like she fit in or belonged. She really let you into how she's felt through her career. And it was a really emotional episode. And I think that a lot of people that listened to that were really taken aback by that and really inspired by her as well because she's a really strong character Mm -hmm. really strong woman she's fought through all of that you know that sat with her from childhood and she talked really about switching between the different versions of Fatima you know Fatima at home Fatima at work and the danger of sort of bringing work Fatima
0: home as well which is very easy for all of us to do that was the bit that really stuck with me, that I go home and I don't like the yes. person that I am because I'm still in work, tough work mode shouting at my yeah. kids. And, I, yeah, I've been there. It's not nice. Yeah, oh, I'm sure a lot of people have. One thing that really stood out for me
1: in her episode was when she was called about the executive chair Edinburgh position, and she didn't believe it. She thought that they'd made a mistake and actually questioned them about it. Like, of course she was good enough and the right person for that job. But even after all of these years and all of the experience she has and the fact that she has fought her way through and
0: pushed that imposter word away, she still wasn't sure if she was the right person. So, yeah, she is the sort of anti-imposter, came on saying, I am not that person I've had. I have issue with that term. And, you know, that's okay. Yeah. And and the way she articulated that was um, very, very moving. And was it her name, yeah. Fatima Salaria. I mean she's one of these sort of names that even if you don't know her you feel like you do because she's held such important roles at places yeah. like the BBC and at Channel 4 and then running production companies it's you would never have thought and that that was one of these aims of of making this podcast so accessible to everyone that we wanted it to be plain for everyone to see that just because you have a big job and a well-known name does not mean you've had an easy ride and that you have not made mistakes yeah. and learnt from them yeah, exactly, and it just reminds people that when they're in that situation,
1: uh, I'm, t- I'm talking to myself here as well. For an example, recently when I was doing the sort of the BAFTA judging panel, yeah, and I was very nervous about doing it. That's way out my comfort zone. But actually, within five minutes, I'm looking around the Zoom call, and I noticed that everyone, well, a number of people were nervous. They looked nervous, and that suddenly made me feel okay. It's like, ah, oh, these are just humans. Yeah. Not everyone is just like super confident and, you know, that's not the way it actually is. It's about trying to realize that these people in these very, very senior positions are human and often battling their own demons. Right. But then the opposite of this moves us on to the next episode. Stu Richards, who, I mean, he described himself, these are not my words, as a ruddy little ginger troll from Rochdale. (laughs) Right, so he felt like when he went to the industry, that he didn't, that he just wasn't like everyone else. Like I think he described, like looking around and seeing everyone looking sexy, sort of like public school sexy, super coist hair, (laughs) and yeah, he did not feel like he fit in. But he sort of laughs in the face of that, doesn't he? He just he almost enjoys the sort of being out of place that he sees in, in himself, and goes ha. Right. Yes, I I am out of place, but
0: I'll I'll show them what I can do anyway. And I just love that attitude. And it goes to show how different people interpret the situation or interpret the term imposter yep. syndrome. Uh, yeah, the thing that stuck with me was when he said, "To be honest, the more out of place I felt, the more I've enjoyed myself." And, and you think, what hats off to that kind of feeling because he's just gone. Well, I don't care that you don't think I belong here. I think it's hilarious that I'm in a lawyer's office talking like deals with you because I'm just this guy from Rochdale who blagged my setup up of a company. I mean, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, oh my goodness, his story about the way his company no. is set up is, I, I can't spoil that for you, but it is brilliant. And not many
1: people would be able to pull that <laughs> off. Not many people no. would. No. That is, he's that one of a kind.
0: Yeah. And then episode four, Carrie, uh, I love Carrie. She's such a warm, lovely human. And oh my goodness, her gutsy entrance into TV as a teenager in the States, I thought was epic. I yeah, I'm, I was watching telly as a teenager. It was all very depressing and only reporting on the bad stuff that happens. So I wrote in and uh, they gave me my own segment on the show to report other stuff <laughs> I mean, mind blown. Just suddenly. And she was on TV every week. That's it. For like a year and a half.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Carrie did not come from, you know, she talks a lot about her background as well. You know, and and later in her career, moving into the sort of London docks world. But that uh, she she said something that really stuck with me, that when she would speak to people about their Christmas holidays... And people would say that they, you know, they'd been they'd just been sitting there watching TV and a lovely time with their family. And she had not had that experience. You know, she she had a difficult family background with things actually happening, quite serious things, with her family. And she was not having that time. So I think her point is that not everyone's having a lovely time as well in their family life behind the scenes. There's stuff going on in people's lives that you'll never have any any idea about. She didn't come from a background where it was handed to her by any means. No. You know, she it's just a really, really hardworking woman. Mm,
0: she is. And she's, you know, showrunning Netflix series now, which lots of people want to be yeah, doing. Exactly. I love the fact yeah. she took her team to Tottenham Court Road to see Breakpoint no, on the on the massive yeah. screen, the billboard to celebrate that. I thought, I wish I'd have had that at some point in my career, but I don't think I ever worked on anything big enough.
1: <laughs> well, but it suggests that she hasn't lost sight of the enormity of this sort of thing for people in their career. She wanted them to see it and then back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Relentless. No, she, she seems awesome.
0: Yeah. Oh, and then, oh my goodness, episode five, Phil Edgar Jones, OBE, which I have to yes. say every time now because that becomes a whole thing that he wants to talk about. I don't know yeah. how many of you know his name, but he's someone that has always been in my telly head because of the end credits of big brother he was always at the end credits being the exec producer of that yeah. for years and years i worked on the second series of big brother's little brother and he was somewhere on that massive set as the big boss so i was so thrilled to have an hour to talk to him and actually he he isn't someone that i would naturally would have approached before to be honest it goes back to the am I going to insult people by approaching them about do you want to be on a podcast about imposter syndrome um that hasn't been out yet so you've got nothing to benchmark it against whether it's any good but he came back to me so quickly when I sort of email pitched him saying um oh yeah hi Kimberly oh you've absolutely come to the right place if you want to talk about imposter syndrome and failure and I just thought wow okay this is going to be an interesting episode what did you take away from his episode?
1: Ah, uh, he's my ultimate imposter syndrome sufferer. He talked very candidly about how it impacts on his life. He even suggested to you that like his episode would be the worst episode. You know, it, it like leads into everything that yes. he does. Like Big Brother was obviously a, a massive high for him, but then riding on his coattails of that, then he went off and took a job in the states, and then it went sort of terribly wrong for him and it was like a really low point in his career and you know the fact that he feels now able to talk about that because i feel like from him he really has demonstrated how you can fight off that that feeling of imposter syndrome and find the right place for yourself and like he seems so happy now uh sky that he's just he's found his place and so that's why i think he feels very able to sort of talk about the past feelings that he's had
0: and actually i think what what's interesting here is that there's obviously a reason why these very senior well-known successful people are agreeing to unload sort of unburden themselves about those times that weren't so glossy in their career and it's because they're out the other side or or at least if they're not totally out of it they have perspective over why it's happened and they are kind of They've either dealt with it past tense or are dealing with it in a more healthy way and therefore willing to share and sort of impart that on other people.
1: Yeah. You know what? That's what I always wanted from this, actually. I wanted to find these brilliant, talented people and then figure out what the path was to that. What were the ups and downs along the way? What was it that led them to this? And it's never going to be the same kind of story, is it? I'm just so interested in the stories What is it that makes these people so brilliant? And they probably, some of these people like, you know, like Phil didn't feel particularly brilliant, you know. He even talked about at school, he didn't do particularly well and then he got a sort of later in life ADHD diagnosis, which probably was a bit of a light bulb moment for him. It probably explained Mm -hmm. a lot of the sort of struggles he'd been through. But I guess now he knows how to use that, like, and he's learnt about how to just be him and how that doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. Actually, you can use your, what you might call a weakness to be your superpower. Somebody said that. I, I think it might've been Fatima that was talking about how your, your weaknesses can be your superpower. Love that, And it's, it's right, isn't it? It's, if you just, just honesty and owning things. I mean, it's not always that simple. I'm, I'm well aware of that, but you know, I think owning issues rather than trying to hide them can sometimes really help you, become who you can be
0: i had an email from a woman who had listened to the show to the phil edgar jones episode and she oh, said that her son had recently had a diagnosis of adhd or was sort of going through that um that process and it's been a stressful time for for her and her partner and that actually listening <laughs> to phil talk so openly about his adhd and how it's it's not held him back and if anything it has made him as good as he is in certain ways surrounded by great people has really made her feel stronger about the future of her son and what he may be able to achieve and she was um, emailing to say thank you for that and i thought just wow because we've always wanted to reach people with these stories but the most important thing i think is engagement with you listening and making you feel part of something and not alone anymore and reassured by all of this and to build this a community where you can interact with us and we're we're going to be working on that a lot more about how we can do more of that in the future but I felt really humbled by that email and as an example of how this is reaching people and how our guests being so open is really affecting people in a positive way absolutely I need to take a minute to say a big thank you to the team at EditCloud for supporting the edit of the Imposter Club podcast. The founder, Simon Green, said it was an obvious partnership as EditCloud felt like the imposter of the post-production world when they began. They are the world's first truly native cloud-based virtual editing solution, connecting tech, training and talent all over the world. EditCloud was created by editors for editors, connecting storytellers everywhere, enabling them to craft their best stories to excite, enrich and inspire audiences wherever they are, much like this podcast. Thank you, team. I am so happy not to be crying into my laptop while I midnight edit. And then on to Faraz Osman. Faraz yes. Osman is a is a real friend of talented people and Rosie and I, and it's just a bit of an industry legend, to be honest. I mean, he calls himself a gobshite and that he, <laughs> he just absolutely loves telly. This episode actually, letting you in behind the scenes here, was our very first episode that we recorded. Faraz has always so much to say and is very insightful about the way the industry works as a whole. And I think what what I took away from him was that separation between TV and personal life is so difficult to have, isn't it? When you love an industry like Mm -hmm. we all love tv being unable to separate it when you come home and put the telly on is quite dangerous sometimes like it seeps into every part of your being because you go to a you know a mate's house and they say what are you working on at the moment and then you tell them and then you get into this conversation about all the stuff that's on tv and you start thinking about things and you can't and then your identity becomes that because people see you as the tv person and yeah it's it's kind of smothering Exactly. People are always expecting the next idea to pop out of your mouth. You know, the next big TV
1: format It's just, it is everywhere. He loves TV, but he loves the industry. So I I, I wasn't surprised. But he's full of confidence for us. I found it really interesting, actually, when he was talking about uh, code shifting between identities. Like for him, as a British Asian, going into the BBC Asian unit at the start of his career and suddenly feeling not Asian enough. You know, that was really like like amazing to hear him say that he suddenly felt out of place in what you would anticipate would be his community but he didn't but he'd I think he'd been the only Asian at his school I think that's what he said so he was in a sort of all-white school so he obviously felt very Asian in that particular environment but then went into BBC Asian unit and suddenly felt like almost the sort of whitest Asian in the room so just not a story that you would expect to hear but he told it very, very well. I think he's felt probably like he hasn't belonged in certain jobs along the way and found
0: himself in very soft senior positions where he didn't feel like he had a voice. What a crying shame that the place where he was, where he was hired because he could bring a different perspective to the table, who then subsequently did not listen to him. And they were the ones who missed out. Uh, But unfortunately, he came away from that, having an identity crisis, as he put it. So yes, dangerous territory if you don't hire and then listen and support. But he is a
1: strong, strong character. And he's just sort of forged his own path, really, hasn't he? And set up his own company.
0: I do find it hilarious that he blagged himself onto a a job that was about naughty dogs, even though he has a dog phobia. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. I mean, that's commitment to your career, really, isn't it? Yes. Well, the TV job that I got just needed to do it. What <laughs> would
0: your equivalent be? What, what program would you never want to work on because you oh. have a dislike or phobia of? Something like that. Oh, okay. Just
1: either mice or flying. Either of those things <laughs> would be my utter, utter hate. <laughs> like, I can't, can't. I, I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd have been able to sort of like brush that off and just go for the job like he did with the dog program. I think I'd just have to go.
0: So no, no SAS for you. No, no. No, I'm no. a celebrity.
1: You know, they put you into like a coffin in the ground, and then there's mice and rats on you. I would much, much prefer somebody to just dump like a poisonous steak on my knee than a tiny mouse.
0: That's ridiculous, just Rosie. No problem. No
1: problem with steaks. None. Mice. <laughs>
0: But you know, mice can't hurt you or kill you, no, but snakes can. I can't even think about them. You weirdo. Snakes. Yeah, no, it's all right.
1: You just grab their head. It's fine. <laughs> just stop them from sort of attacking you, oh but God. mice, they're too fast. <laughs> I don't get that at all.
0: And then we're coming more recent times with episodes now. So episode seven was Nicola Hill, who I met a while back and we had... Um, We had breakfast, as you do in Media Land, because, you know, people don't start uh, work till 10. It was very early, actually. Um, She had a busy day. Anyway, that aside, she was so generous with her time. And we talked a lot about talented people and her career. And she just has this wonderful, warm, soft, but firm manner. And I immediately thought of her when we were making this podcast, because I knew she had been in drama before she moved into Mm -hmm. factual at the garden and I don't know how many people knew that or certainly you wouldn't assume that because she had been at the garden for nearly 10 years at that point so I I definitely wanted to quiz her about that but I didn't realize how much more she was going to have to say about her personal situation as well. Starting at that point that move into factual she felt like she was
1: drowning and I think she also at the start of that change had an 18-month-old toddler so her life all just changed all at once but she's so determined isn't yeah. she like she will admit to feeling out of her depth total self-doubt throw it into this completely different world but yet she is one of those people i think they just won't give in and she's just gonna fight her way through it i think she's probably a bit like you she just battles through it and and gets there but then yeah she's talked to you about going through a significant chunk of time with breast cancer and thinking that she'd actually be able to keep working. I mean, that just mind-blowing. Just thought that, well, yeah, that like, well, my life's going to carry on. Didn't consider for a second that, you know, how disruptive and horrible chemo would be. And so that really floored her. But still, even after all of that, which amazed me about this episode, actually, and her, she's still got this real positive outlook of life. She's sort of like, she's amazing and inspirational. Just, I've got through that. And I'm, I'm moving forward. Yeah. It could really have such a detrimental effect on some people.
0: And and rightfully so. Yeah. But she's so positive. It's great to hear. Yeah, it. she really is. And I can't wait to see what she does next. I've tried to get that out of her and she I wouldn't know. tell me. She's just too good. Yeah. She's she signed all the things Hopefully. probably. She probably wrote all the contracts. <laughs> signed them as well. Yeah, she exactly. wasn't going to preach that. It's bound to be good though. But actually, I don't know if you're okay to talk about this, but... Hearing Nicola say that about work and her serious illness, did it take you back to when you got really ill last year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, what is it now? This is probably 18 months ago. Now that I just went through a period of months where, oh, it was horrible. My heart suddenly went crazy. Like literally every time I moved, my heart would go up to like 180 beats per minute. And I couldn't breathe properly and I couldn't do anything. So I'd stopped working six months and it just came out of nowhere. Who knows what it was? Was it a virus? What? But yes, hearing Nicola really made me think about that because you just, uh, you know, you're just moving along through life one moment and then something can completely hit you out of nowhere. Even a, you know, a, a healthy, healthy person that keeps themselves well and eats well and exercises, but it can still happen. And how... It just made me think about how awful it is to have everything taken away from you for any amount of time. You know, I, too, at the beginning thought, I've just got to find a way of working. I've just got to find a way of doing this. And it's very hard when it's your business as well and you own it with another person to have to say to that other person, I can't do this anymore. I have to stop for a while, you know, not just for a couple of weeks, for a while. That was really, really hard. Mm. And then just have to sort of sit there in your house ill dark do you know what i mean those
0: thoughts in your head for months it's it's horrible really horrible and you love work don't you i, 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 I have work, to yes. kick like, you off sometimes when you're still on really late at night you love it so without that work in the same way that nicola said i have to stop even though i don't want to must have been terrible yeah, no, it is. it was terrible. Because then you're only left alone with your thoughts, aren't you? And you don't have that other thing yeah. to, to love and be passionate about and commit to and be busy with.
1: But then also you have a, you know the guilt that comes with that, that everyone says you, you shouldn't feel guilt. You just do. I was worried about me, like super worried about me. I was also really worried about you because I just could see, like I could imagine all the time how it must have felt to just be like abandoned <laughs> by your partner and... Thinking about God, what if it was me? What if she went off and, and I was left on my own. It's just it's just really, really hard to watch that and not be able to help. It was a tough patch, but we we worked it out. Yeah. And the most important thing yes. was health. It's a reminder, and I'm sure it was a massive reminder
0: for Nicola as well, that literally your health is everything. Yeah. Um okay, and that moves us on to our final episode, which is the absolutely lovely Jan Genesis, who has got officially the best name in the whole of the industry well as discussed on the episode next to your name
1: <laughs> Kimberly Godbolt and Jan Genesis there was, there was times there was times when we first set up the company where I was worried that you might start using your married name I was like she can't I won't I let her I didn't know that she can't <laughs> I didn't want to be... I love Godbolt it's a brilliant name so yes Genesis also
0: yeah. epic yeah you're obviously going to be someone if your name is Jan Genesis, it, I think. You can't, I don't think you could just work in Tesco. It's no offense to all the very hardworking people at Tesco's, but Jan Genesis on a yes. name badge. I just don't think, it doesn't sit right with me. He needs to be multi cam director supreme, which he is. He does.
1: I loved hearing about where he came from
0: and his single parent upbringing.
1: They just realized early on that mom's not going to be able to get me that bit of work experience that I need. It was nothing that, they were going to be led into. They had to work for this on their own and head into this industry through their own merit entirely. Yeah, He talks about being promoted very, very quickly and then fighting against the people around him who probably thought he's this young kid who's like suddenly managing us. Yep. But he, he had the spirit and the fight to be able to push on through that and become who he has today.
0: I can totally see how he won over 65 year old Dave the Soundy. I can just see it because he would have been like okay I'll figure out who his kids are what football team he supports what he likes to do and we'll find some common ground and we'll break those barriers down when he was talking about being made redundant and signing on for job seekers allowance that really hit home with me because I I remember doing that between jobs once because I had to pay rent whilst I was looking for work I needed to earn something or get something from somewhere and everything he described about the person there interviewing him, asking him for, uh, what sort of jobs he wanted and him saying, well, I, you know, I'm a multi-camera director. I'm looking for studio stuff. I might consider vision mixing. And then looking at him going like, you can imagine it. <laughs> can you just, can you be realistic, please? We've got factory jobs and we've got this jobs. And he was like, that's almost like being transported back to like imposter syndrome. Again, I'd, I'd fought and, and done a brilliant job for like seven mm. years as a director at this point. And now you're telling me to be realistic. I mean, it made me remember that too. You had to, I remember having to kind of pretend or fill out the stuff that I had done on this form. When really all I was doing was tapping up talent managers like you at that point. And asking everybody I knew for a job, and I knew it would come from somewhere at some point, but it was never going to come from a jobs Mm. board with a job centre. Yeah, I had to do that. Anyway, I thought that was very relevant for the market at the moment with so many people looking for work and that that would really resonate and how his spirit lifted him out of that and his drive to succeed and his resilience got him through that. So yeah, the themes of his app are just really, really great. He's an impressive guy. I can't believe we've come through eight episodes now of The Imposter Club, and this is your bonus nine. Uh, But we're looking ahead to what's next, and we're really excited to do more of the same. But uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback or anything that you want to hear more of... We're very open to hearing what you've enjoyed, what kinds of stories resonate with you. And you can always contact us via theimposterclub.com and you can email us hello at theimposterclub.com. But what do you think's next for Series 2, Rosie? What would you like to do more of, do you think?
1: There's loads of people that I think, you know, I've probably written you emails over and over again about guests that I foresee for the future, maybe looking really big. I mean, I think I know who you're. Dream guest is. Does everybody know who Kim's <laughs> dream guest is?
0: Can you guess? Do I talk about it enough? In the, I, I don't think I do actually. I think I need okay. to start threading it through so I can provide evidence to his agent yes. that I really do love him and I'm not some sort of crazy stalker. Well, the word Hamilton is used a lot. The word Hamilton is used a lot, and actually on the website, I wrote in my bio that it is my ultimate goal to have Lin-Manuel Miranda on as a guest. Oh, well, there you go. So I've just stated it there. No, I think no. I'm a big believer, as you know, Rosie, of speaking things into existence. So the more I say yeah. I'm going to have Lin-Manuel Miranda on the show as a guest, the more likely it will happen.
1: It will happen. It will happen. I mean, look at the guests we've had already so far, but I just think I want to find more of these just brilliant people And to just hear their story to the greatness that they are today. I just think you're a very natural presenter. You make people feel very at ease and (laughs) ready to spill all of their deepest, darkest thoughts. So, So, yeah,
0: Rosie, tell me your deepest, darkest thoughts.
1: Oh, (laughs) wow.
0: Talked to a few of them already i think (laughs) well i'm very impressed i'm very impressed that you've come and chatted through stuff with me on this right well i think uh, what i want to tell you the listener to do right now tell your peers friends network about the imposter club give them a personal recommend right everybody loves a personal recommend of a podcast the more people we can get listening the more people we can reach to help not feel alone to pick up advice and tips on how to get through difficult patches in this industry and let's face it it it's pretty lonely if you're a freelancer but it's also lonely if you are a boss because you've got to that point where you're the you know you're at the top of the triangle who have you got to talk to and to hear other people so eloquently discussing how they have felt over these various times I think is is really reassuring and that's what we want we want to do and we hope that you that you stay with us for series 2 we are also because we're ridiculously ambitious we have got big things planned for the imposter club community so do also sign up on the website and keep an eye on your inboxes because we'll be in touch to send you highlights and other resources and other cool things and maybe even do some in real life meetups i would really like that and also rosie we've got to get some merchandise i really want an imposter club t-shirt Get one for yourselves. Do you not want one? (laughs) Oh, unbelievable. Just to make you feel better about you. What about a mug?
1: Could you do a mug? I'd have a mug, yeah. Absolutely have a mug. All right, I'll ship you a mug. Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, thank
0: you. (laughs) Thank you. It's been so nice to talk it all through. Yes, thank you for having me. (laughs) How weird. You're kind of like a guest. All right, see you later, exec producer. I'm going to press stop. Bye bye. And that's it for this series. I wanted to say a huge thank you for coming on this journey with me. Your positive feedback has been overwhelming. If there are some episodes that you've missed, please do go and check them out. They all offer wisdom, advice and reassurance in different ways. And if you haven't already, come and join the club via the website, theimposterclub.com. Leave us a review on your podcast app. I would personally Be so grateful as it helps other people who really need this content, just like you, to find and trust us. Just a couple of lines and a star rating would be epic. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to bring you the next series just as soon as it's ready. See you soon and take good care.
1: And
0: thanks again to Edit Cloud for editing this series.